Tom Raider, and I'm really glad I'm not following that. However, someone who is, Comrade uh, Asari, uh, who has now got here from the All African uh, People's Revolutionary Party, uh, would, would you like to make a contribution, Comrade? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, just want to start by saying special thanks to Carlos and Randy who we travelled to Cuba together in 97. We didn't know each other when we travelled, but when we arrived in Cuba and spent some time in Cuba, um, we got friendly in terms of revolutionary comradeship and we lost contact for many, many years and then at the event you did on China, we've got back in contact and we've been texting and emailing since then, so it's good. Kwame Ture used to say, if you stay in struggle, our past will always cross again. And also to Keith as well, who came to a seminars many, many years ago. I remember the, the DPRK seminars, which were fantastic. Gave us a very interesting perspective on another part of the world. I want to speak uh, as a socialist in the sense that we come to struggle in different places, in different ways. Um, I remember denouncing socialism and uh, the Soviet Union when I was a, as a young, young trade unionist who didn't know anything about socialism, as most people who denounce socialism don't know anything about socialism. <laughs> hadn't read one book on socialism, hadn't read one book on Marx or, or, or Lenin or any other socialist author, but denounce socialism as a bad thing, as a, something coming from Europe and nothing to do with the African liberation struggle. Although I didn't say African liberation struggle in those days, I, I talked about the black power struggle. But when you merge what I came from, which is the civil rights struggle and the black power struggle, with where I was in the trade union movement, I was a very active trade unionist um, in my young days. Um, and when you merge the civil rights struggle and the lessons from that and the, and the black power struggle with the lessons from class struggle through the workers, the logical destination is you end up in so with socialism, is what we call revolutionary pan-Africanism today. Is when we start to understand that the struggle, when we start reading about people like Malcolm X, where people like myself, we start to realize that the struggle can't be contained to one place in the world. The, the problems that we, he was having in New York or Chicago or in Alabama wasn't unique to the United States. It was something that was a global situation. And it was only when Malcolm X's analysis went beyond that, he became a serious threat. And, and that threat had to be extinguished. It's what we saw. We saw the same with Martin Luther King. When Martin Luther King had a, a kind of reformist agenda, he was a safe pair of hands. He was one of those so-called Negroes that you could speak to. Because otherwise you've got to deal with Malcolm, or you've got to deal with Kwame Ture, you've got to deal with some of the more radical forces. But when Martin Luther King marched on Chicago uh, with the workers and started to go in solidarity with the white working class and also denounced the Vietnam War, when he, he said, we, we won't study war no more. When he gave that speech, he basically broke his relationship with the US imperialism because now the US government had to denounce him and had to attack him. And when we suddenly realized that actually American imperialism and the American government wasn't our friend, it was our enemy. And it was a serious mistake of the civil rights struggle to think that America was our friend, when it was never our friend, it was our enemy. In fact, if you see people like Kennedy, who was it that put sanctions on Cuba? What was the administration that put sanctions on Cuba? What was, it, what was the, the government who put um, CIA in Angola? We know from John Stockwell and, and, and all the, the information we've got from the CIA and all the information that's released. It was the Kennedy and the Johnson administration, this great, great liberal administration that was creating chaos across the African continent, overthrowing socialist governments all over the African continent. So we understand that America are not our friends. So as I said, we came to socialism in different ways. In fact, um, my work in the party, um, 
I hadn't read a, I hadn't read any books on Lenin or, or, or uh, Marx or any of these things because people come to socialism, I said, from different paths. In the African Revolution struggle, we are inspired by people like Cabral, Nkrumah, Sekature, Subukwe. There's a list goes on. I've named my son after Samora, Michelle, for example. So many other revolutions. Most of them have come who who had a, a clock with the class analysis came from what they would have described themselves as a Marxist analysis. And what we say is it's a fun, an excellent methodology, of course, to understand capitalism. Marx and Lenin give us an excellent critique of a capitalist system, of imperialism, the highest form of capitalism, of course. And we read these books. But also we have to have analysis that goes beyond that, which is the nation, the nation analysis. Because I get it from, you get it from different moods. Some people say we shouldn't have any solidarity with anybody outside of the, the African revolutionary struggle. We should be nationalists and have no relationship with anybody else. Of course, we don't agree with that analysis at all. It's flawed in history. It's flawed in practicality. It's flawed, it's flawed in so many different ways. And there's others that say on the left as well that we shouldn't have nationalist struggles. We should just be, have solidarity across workers across the world. But of course, we are oppressed as workers as, the, as ordinary people, but we also oppressed as nation states mm -hmm. and as peoples, as because racism is a reality in the world. And we know that even in socialist revolutions, racism is still an issue that still needs to be grappled with and struggled with, just like gender oppression, just like other aspects of oppression in society. We still have to grapple. And the day of victory, the, the day we announce victory, as in the October Revolution, is only the beginning of the transformation of society. And we understand that the ideological de development of human beings what Shea talked about, what so many other socialists have talked about, is a, is a critical part of the transformation. The mistake so many made is when we just compete with the capitalist world to have all the material gains of capitalism, but not all the mental improvements. What we see is, we see with uh, capitalism basically is what they've done, advanced capitalism have done, because capitalism doesn't work, that's our basic mantra, capitalism doesn't work. It doesn't work for the majority of people. Because people always keep saying to me, people who don't read anything on socialism, say socialism doesn't work. But we say back to them, well, capitalism doesn't work. Because we've had capitalism in Africa. We've had capitalism in Africa for 50 years of independence. And where has it got us? It's got us nowhere. Uh, I was in Ghana a few, a few years ago because I wanted to be there for the 50th anniversary of Ghana's independence. The year before, I went to Malaysia and Singapore. Um, and I went to Malaysia and Singapore because... Partly because I had some sympathy for some of the nationalist struggles that went on there, although they moved on a different path, they didn't move on a socialist path, but they did have a, pro a semi-progressive nationalist path, and also they had rapid development and gains. And I wanted to compare Malaysia, who was independent in 1957, with a similar population and similar GDP, with Ghana. So I went to Ghana the following year, and it was very interesting. And capitalism has failed. It, it, it failed. And what was one of the interesting debates was there was phonings, and some of the phonings in Ghana at that time was uh, saying that the current president at that time that how wonderful it was that he was uh, opening the new electricity plant in Ghana uh, until people rang up and said, hang on a minute, weren't you, weren't you the guy that was back in the, the forces that overthrew Nkrumah uh, in, in the 1960s where the Soviet Union had staff waiting to build a second plant for electricity 40 years ago? And on your on your advice of American imperialism and British imperialism, threw out those workers, stopped the dam, stopped the, the development of the second phase of electricity, and now Ghana has power cuts every day. And, and here we are in Ghana rejoicing that this president <laughs> is opening and dealing with electricity 40 years later. 
because the great advice of the capitalist governments at that time is get rid of the Soviet Union, throw them out. But of course they don't say, you throw them out and we'll come along, we'll build it for you. They'll say, throw them out, but we're not building it for you. We're not going to give you electricity. What you need is free market and sell off all those businesses that were started by the state, get rid of them, close them down, mothball them. And, to, and, and Ghana hasn't made the great strides it should have made on all the optimism that was around in the 1950s. So we know the path to development has to be socialism. We have to deal with the masses. Now, Secretary gives us an interesting analysis on that. Secretary was the first president of independent Guinea in West Africa. And his analysis was the people's class versus the anti-people's class. Because he come to understand, and I think many of us have now, we have the benefit of hindsight, to reflect back to say, class analysis and working class in itself is not, doesn't mean it's innate in you that because you're working class you're going to have a socialist analysis. In fact, many of the working class aspire. We have these papers, well-known papers written, why does the working class vote conservative? Why does the working class vote against their own class interests? Because consciousness, and this is a point I come back to about ideology and the need for transformation of our minds, is it so important that we must transform our minds? While some of us may have slightly better jobs, better education, we can commit some level of class suicide. For the majority of people, there is no suicide to commit. But they still vote against their own interests. They still organize against their own interests because they don't have a correct analysis of the contradictions in which they face. Don't understand why is it that we're low paid? Is it just because this evil man who runs the company doesn't give us a pay rise? And if he does give us a pay rise, then okay, everything's okay then. No, British Airways or whoever it is, the postal union, whoever the latest strike is, if they get a few concessions, then okay, well, maybe the system's not that bad after all. I don't necessarily see the wider contradiction. And it's exactly the same we see in the solidarity with the, the African movement, which was inspired by the Soviet Union. If it wasn't for the Soviet Union, many of these movements could never have got off the ground. The funding, the support. And material in many ways that people don't see, whether it's radio, radio and assistance just to put across ideas, printing materials and leaflets, um, books and materials. You go to many parts of the African continent today and you, you don't see books about people like, you go to Ghana, you don't see a book on improvement. How can you not get books on improvement? It's the, the, the so-called father of, of independence. Because of course the governments that are there, anti-improvement, until the, the most recent governments that are there, that gives a certain amount of lip service to, to improvement today. But we see that suppression of information and one of the things I also argue, and we strongly argue, is that we think the 20th century was the century of socialism. We believe we won all the major debates. And I think we, we have to un understand that it's a very, very short time in world history. Capitalism has had hundreds and hundreds of years to consolidate itself. This evil system from feudalism, mercantilism, whatever systems you want to call it, systems of a few owning and controlling land and, and, and the practices of production, they've had hundreds of years to consolidate themselves. It's only in the last 50 years we've had welfare states. We've had you know, free healthcare and free education, these things. People in our in living memory knew when we didn't have these things. So these are very recent things, and these are things that we, the socialists, fought for and won over. Capitalists now stand around saying they're proud of these things. But it's the socialists that fought for To be very clear about, we believe the 20th century was the century of socialism, and we believe the 21st century will be even a better century for socialism because now we see the contradictions are so clear. We see that capitalism is in crisis. We don't believe it's quite on its knees because it will reform itself and it will reform itself and it will reform itself to try and survive because the, the, the desire for profits is there as it ever was. But the level of resistance and the level of understanding about the situation is higher. For example, we give the example from the African Revolution. During the days of, of the, of the anti-colonial struggle, it wasn't so clear. 
all people could focus on was a European in power, or great power, the Americans, the French, the, the British, the Germans, whoever they were. That's all people could focus on. Let's remove this colonial power and replace them with people who look like us and everything will be fine. <laughs> we can laugh now, but that was clear. And also we saw there was class um, alignment in a sense where the, 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 the emerging middle classes, although there's very few, even today in most parts of Africa with the exception of parts of South Africa and a few other places, there's very little so-called middle class or real bourgeois class in, in a sense in Africa. Mostly people are peasants and rural people. But we saw that there was an alliance between farmers, between workers, between the, the petty bourgeoisie and others to remove the European powers. And then soon after, they just replaced them with other European powers. The more revolutionary forces that were more mass-based were removed by the CIA and the British forces and so on. But many of the others, had the contradiction is now sharpened. Because today we can see in Azania, South Africa, for example, that the problem is no longer a question of colour. Because we see the ANC government isn't delivering. Has never had a real clear class analysis anyway, with the exception of a few comrades in the ANC, we know that they also had the Communist Party and so on, but even in there, it's like Tony Benn says, we've always had some Christians in the church, we have some socialists in so-called socialist organisations, <laughs> but not many. And the ANC was not socialist, we knew, you know, people like Mandela and others, he wasn't socialist when he went into prison, why would we think he'd be socialist when he came out of prison? He denounced socialism in his book, when, the book he wrote before he went into prison, prison he said he denounced socialism, he, was, he didn't have a, a class analysis, he was against apartheid, he was angry because he was a qualified lawyer and he couldn't stand at the bar and earn the same money as everybody else and we admire because he almost gave his life, or he gave a large part of his life to the struggle, we admire that, no question, can't take that away from him, but he didn't have the, the extra analysis to recognise we haven't gone far enough that to just replace one, one set of people with another set of people and just change the colour of the flag doesn't really make much difference to the contradictions in society. Apart from now, we have a larger black middle class and more BMW owners than we had before. But the fundamental contradictions of South Africa haven't been changed. So in terms of my solidarity, I wanted to stop because I'm, I'm sure I probably don't have the time. But basically, just to say that wherever we are, wherever we come to this struggle, we converge in the same issues. We talk about the same issues as Dubois talked about many, many years ago, that people who live under capitalism have the same fears. Fears that we thought we had won and resolved. The fear of getting sick. We're not sure anymore. We're not sure what's going to happen next year when all the, the bourgeois media tells us that we're going to have to face massive, massive public sector cuts next year. So if you get sick, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. When you get, we're not sure, we, we thought we had resolved the issue of pensions. We're now not sure what will happen when you retire. Will you actually get your pension or not? We thought that was only a problem in the private sector, but now the public sector, the Conservatives are saying maybe when they get in power they're going to renegotiate the public sector agreements around pensions. So people retiring with insecurity and lack of dignity. We can see we have fear of war. We thought, oh, everybody told us, the European Union, there's no more wars in Europe. But maybe there's no wars in Europe, although there's always been wars in Europe, that's a lie anyway. But there hasn't been major imperialist wars maybe in Europe, but there certainly has been conflict in Europe. But the war come to our back door. Because the reason why there's bombs here, uh, we used to say, if you have bombs in Africa, we'll have bombs in America, we used to say. That was one of our slogans. But, but you can see the same. It's a bit dangerous to say these things these days. But, 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 yeah, rest of but, but, but these are, um, it's a serious point, isn't it? Because Tony Blair said, uh, said to us, he doesn't know why the 7-7 bombers did what they did. 
<laughs> now, we can speculate as much as we want, we can theorize about it, but you know, not many times in history, people who have done something like that have left a video. He left the video and he said, we did it because you went into Iraq. And he comes out on TV and says, we don't know why they did it. But he left the video. I mean, it's not very often in history people leave a video. You know, if Guy Fawkes had left the video and said, the reason why I'm bombing this place is because of whatever. I mean, how could you dispute that historically? He said, we don't know why he did it. When he did a broadcast and said, the reason why we did it is because he went into Iraq. So the fear of war is still serious. And the fear of war is there. Why do people, we know that what happened in um, this Air Force, this um, big base in, in America, it's not new. When, when um, black soldiers were in the Vietnam War and heard that Martin Luther King died, they had a gun in their hand. And they turned around and said, hang on a minute, there's a white, and they shot, they shot some of their own people. So this is not new because people see the contradictions of society. I'm here giving my life for this nation and my hero, whose only hope, when I come back from war, maybe with one leg or no legs or no arms, I come back from, from war hoping to go back and contribute to my society. And here the person who have given me hope that we could transform the society to have civil rights has been killed. And I've got a gun in my hand pointing at people who I don't know if they call me nigger, then they call me a racist name. I've not I've got any contradiction with these Vietnamese people. But this guy is sitting next to me is a cracker, I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> so we see that... diversity is that we're scattered all over the world and we can see that we know the BMPs and that some of the BMPs analysis is absolutely right some of the Foreign Office analysis is absolutely right because many people around the world will not stand still and allow their brothers and sisters to be beaten and killed and murdered around the world and just stand back and do nothing they're going to speak up but there's always been a history of people speaking up anyway even if this was a hundred percent white nation people will still stand up against injustice because it's innate we as socialists believe that it is innate in human beings that we will stand up against injustice. If I give my children, if I give one two sweets and one one sweet, you don't have to teach them the philosophy of socialism for them to see. They just say it's unfair. Uh, I don't have to go into a big explanation of socialism to explain to my children that if somebody owns land and makes you work, and you work all day from sunup till sundown, and the person who owns the land sits in a big house, a very large house, doing nothing. And at the end of the day, you get one pound each, and they get a thousand pounds each. It's unfair. <laughs> you don't need any analysis to do that. So we believe it is innate. But we do believe that you have to transform society and the minds of people, because we do believe also human beings have the great characteristic that we can also, if we're engaged in an environment that is selfish, Negative, surprise, surprise, we become selfish and negative. Yes, that's what so, just to close, basically, the socialist revolution is as strong as ever in the African world. We are 100% solid in fighting um, class struggle. We can see today these corrupt leaders in Africa supported. People use the word puppet. I don't use the word puppet anymore because a puppet doesn't have independent thoughts, emotion. These people in Africa have made a decision. Just like they've made a decision, in, like Gordon Brown's made a decision. Just like um, Blair made a decision to buy a six million pound house or whatever it was. Just like uh, whoever else around the world, from Latin America, from Asia, all around the world, people have made a decision to align themselves with the rich, with the wealthy, with the big business. 
and have decided that it's okay that as soon as I drive outside my house, there's no road, there's no drains, and there's poor and homeless everywhere in the world. So we're one as people around the world in solidarity, so I thank you. Thank you.